Good morning, City Fellowship. I'm so thankful to be able to uh, bring you a word today. What a joy that is, and something that um, I can guarantee you do not take very lightly. But before we get started, I want to pray over us. So if you will, bow your heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, in this moment, Wherever my brothers and sisters find themselves today, I pray that your presence is with them, that you speak to them, that they know you in a new way, God. I pray blessings over every household that is within the sound of my voice right now, God, that you keep sickness away, God, but you open our hands to help us receive whatever it is you are doing in these odd, odd times. Times that we have never seen before, God. God, help us open our hands to receive from you. And help us run fully into your arms and rest under the refuge of your wings. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. Well, good morning. We have been in a series about what it means to be at the feet of Jesus. And today, we're going to be studying a story in Luke when four friends did whatever it took to lay their friend at the feet of Jesus. But first, I want to talk about what's been going on in my home. Um... I don't know about y'all, but I have been experiencing what it means to actually be human. And what I mean by that, and I don't mean that to be silly, um, what I mean by that is over the past few months, I have found myself um, irritable, anxious, scared, angry. Um, all sorts of things that we normally consider negative emotions, um, those things have been coming up. Bad attitudes, um, not only with me, but with everybody in my family. We have um, all been together for a really long time, and we've had to deal with things. Our normal means of escaping the mess haven't worked. We've had to live in the mess. And so, a question that I've been thinking about recently is what it means to fully embrace humanity as a spiritual being. And so, our human, to be human, is, is not um, some sort of far-off idea, right? Um, to be human is not abstract, it is not hypothetical. It is concrete. It is visceral. It is embodied in our everyday experiences and relationships. And at the same time, as Dallas Willard says, we are unceasing spiritual beings created for an intimate and transforming friendship with the creative community that is the Trinity. And so, 
I found myself feeling the tension of that, living in that paradox. What exactly can shalom look like this side of heaven as a spiritual being in a human, a very human body? And I can't tell you that we're going to like get a definite answer for that today. But what I am going to do is open up the living word and share a beautiful story about a man and his friends who can help us to identify what it looks like to be bound in body, free in spirit, and ultimately at home with Jesus. But first, I want to frame it up a little bit for us. Um, If you know my husband at all, Jamie, you know that he is an amazing storyteller. The way that he tells stories makes you feel like you're actually in the room where it happened. He's great at it. And if you've been around him any amount of time and he starts telling a story, you can look around. The people in the room are just like, amazed by it because he just has this gift and I believe that's a great gift. I think stories are very important. Personal stories are what connect us. Um, They're what help us to grow compassion, to give us differing perspectives on things. It's good to share personal stories, but we also really love all kinds of stories, don't we? Made up stories about faraway lands and um, villains and heroes and the triumph of evil, of good, I'm sorry, of good over evil. We love those kind of stories. And I think that's because we're created by an amazing storyteller with an amazing imagination. And so I want us to come at our gospel story with that mindset today. Because as Russ mentioned last week, the Gospels are about Jesus and his life and ministry here on earth. But also, they're about us. Our own personal stories of redemption are added to the Gospel story even today. That's how we share the work of Jesus in the world, right? And so as we're learning and unpacking this story today, I have been praying that we could see ourselves in that moment, um, in this house, in this place where Jesus heals the paralyzed man. Um, So uh, I want to read today our story from Luke. It's Luke chapter 5, 17 through 20. And it says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him at the feet of Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. That story goes on 
um, and has much more to say. We're not going to get into all of that, but Jesus does heal the man's body as well. Um, and so I want to talk about this story um, from the viewpoint of the characters. So first we have the paralyzed man, and we don't know much about this man. We can know a few things, but um, we know that he's paralyzed, and we know by the way that his friends were carrying him that he's fully paralyzed, right? Um, and because of what we know about ancient Jewish culture, we can conclude that this man was marginalized because in, in that culture, any sort of physical disability was linked to spiritual failing, spiritual shortcoming, sin of some, some sort. Who sinned? This man or his parents or his grandparents any sort of physical failing was seen as a disadvantage. It was not a. It it was not celebrated for sure. Um, so we know this man would have not been permitted to even go inside the temple to worship God. And um, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the temple because I think this scripture actually gives us an image that we might miss if we didn't dig just a little bit deeper. The temple was the place to the Jews where heaven and earth overlapped. It's fascinating to me to read in the Old Testament about the intricate details about the construction of the tabernacle and then later of the temple and the care and the rich symbolism um, that points to Jesus, ultimately. Um, the most holy place was a place that only the high priest could go, and the high priest made sacrifices on behalf of the people. Um, but this man, the paralyzed man, would not have been permitted inside the temple because his disability was seen as some sort of spiritual failing, cursed by God. And so, um, this gives me my first indication of the utter weight of this moment. You see, in, in this story, we have the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees who have traveled, it says, from many different surrounding towns, even all the way from Jerusalem. And they had traveled here because they wanted to see Jesus. What was he about? Who is this man? What are all the things that we have been hearing? The scriptures tell us that day that the power of God was upon him to heal. Now, we know that the power of God was always upon Jesus to heal. Um, we have seen uh, in, the, in the scriptures prior to this that um, the power of God was with him, that he had shown his power and authority over nature, over demons, and um, over death. We, we learned about that with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so um, we know that Jesus possesses the power and authority of the Most High God, right? Um, but the teachers of the law and the Pharisees 
did not believe that, right? They just were curious. They were coming because they were curious. Um, they wanted to, um, you know, see who this guy was and, um, and what he was doing. And so in this moment, you have all these people who were crowded around in this house and what many scholars believe is Peter's house, which was um, sort of the hub of Jesus's ministry um, at the time in Capernaum. And so he was standing or sitting and he was teaching this large crowd. And so these four friends were, were trying to bring their friend at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to speak about the friends next because um, there's a lot for us to learn about them. But here we have the paralyzed man in his very human body, right, bound in his body by a crippling disability. And he was laid at the feet of Jesus because I think in this moment Jesus knew exactly what was going on and he was setting up what it is he was doing what it is he came to do right the religious leaders were making it physically impossible not only that day for this disabled man but for his whole life they were on that day a barrier to get to Jesus, but they were also being that barrier with their religious laws and all of these things that people had to keep. Um, Jesus's first words to this paralyzed man were not, you are healed. His first words to the man were, friend, your sins are forgiven. This man had more than likely never heard that before. He had never had a burnt sacrifice made on his behalf. Jesus knew exactly what that man needed to hear. And he knows exactly um, what that man's greatest need was in that moment, which is all of our greatest needs, all of our greatest sickness is to be healed, to be forgiven from our sins, right? But Jesus didn't stop there. He also healed his actual body and told him to pick up his mat and walk. You see, I believe that Jesus was showing this crowd that this man's body and soul fully healed was an image of the new temple. Jesus was turning cultural and religious norms upside down in this moment. By setting a paralyzed man, a lame man free, holistically, in body and spirit, he was showing us a visceral human example of a spiritual truth. You see, standing before them in that moment was the fullness of God wrapped in humanity. Humanity and divinity were present together in Christ. Jesus was showing them, listen, you cannot believe what I'm about to do here. I am destroying this temple system. And you see this man, this healed man, body and soul, he is a picture of the new temple of the living God. He was not showing some sort of magic formula for salvation of how to get into heaven but he was revealing the mystery of resurrection life, 
alive in spirit and body in a wholeness. Some people in that crowd recognized that for what it was, and some were greatly offended by it. You see, friends, the riches of the glory of this mystery is that your body, my human body, is now the temple. Because of the resurrection, the healed body of Jesus Christ, and the abundant gift of the Holy Spirit, Christ himself dwells within you, dwells within me. Christ in you, the hope of glory and the hope for humankind. In this story, we are the paralyzed man. We can use our holy imaginations to see ourselves fully bound by our human experience. We will be bound in these earthly bodies until the day of our own death or until Jesus comes back. We're always going to be bound in the flesh, bound in an earth that is under the curse of sin. We are bound, but we are free. And that brings, us, that brings me to um, the, our next characters in this great story, which are the friends. Um, and I want you, like I said, we're doing some storytelling, trying to picture ourselves in this gospel story. And so I'm going to go out on a little bit of an imagination leash here, if you will. Um, we know that the paralyzed man was marginalized because of his physical state. But what I believe we can also tell from this story is that he wasn't alone. And, and so that made me start to wonder if one or all of these friends mentioned were, were caregivers of him in some capacity. Um, and as I was thinking about that, I started thinking about all of the people that I know who have played the role of caregiver. Um, because those people would absolutely tear through a roof to get their loved one at the feet of Jesus, who know the ins and outs of a daily life, taking care of every physical or emotional need of someone who cannot care for themselves. I know one mom who recognizes the amazing gift of her grown autistic and deaf son, but who also knows the monotonous weight taking care of a life um, that has so many limitations, who then your own life, her own life has so many limitations. And this mama is a warrior mama who absolutely would tear through the roof in a minute if it meant laying her son at the feet of Jesus in order to be healed. And she would rally her friends who love her um, to help her carry that mat. You see, I think the friends didn't understand in that moment necessarily that Jesus was the Messiah. Not yet anyway. I believe their souls recognized hope. Um, author Madeline Langle shares a story about a reader of her book, A Wrinkle in Time. I love this. She said she was speaking 
one time, and after she finished speaking, a reader came up to her, and she said, I read A Wrinkle in Time when I was eight or nine. I didn't understand it, but I knew what it was about. You see, we are really fond in our Western culture of intellectual understanding. But I believe these four friends knew the feeling of rightness, of knowing things they couldn't intellectually comprehend just yet. I believe their souls recognized their creator. As created beings, their souls saw the creator of the universe, the creator of their very souls. They saw that in Jesus. They knew deep in their souls that he was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that by him all things were made in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And they were doing whatever it took to get their friend at his feet. He was their only hope. And they were greatly rewarded for their faith. Jesus saw them. They carried their friend, could not get through, carried him up onto a roof, and dug out tile by tile, dug out to get this man down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looked up at them, and in that moment, he saw them. Not only was he using this moment to reveal such big spiritual truths to, of healing and of destroying temple systems and things like that, he was using it to see them as a person, as an individual. He looked at the paralyzed man and he said, their faith has made you well. Their faith, friend, your sins are forgiven. He knew in an instant what their lives looked like and how they had laid down their life over and over and over and over again for this friend of theirs. And I think there's a lot for us to glean from that today. What we don't see are these friends sitting beside their paralyzed friend offering him advice or commiserating with him. We can compare these friends of the paralyzed man to Job's friends in the Old Testament. They aren't asking him to evaluate his life and see what sin is separating him from God. Um, they aren't questioning his suffering, um, what he did to bring this suffering on or in his body. Modern day, to bring it a little bit to the modern day, um, they aren't telling him to cheer up, that everything happens for a reason. Um, they are doing whatever it takes to get their friend to the true source of their healing. They knew that they could not rescue him or save him, no matter what methods they used. They could not love him into wholeness. They possessed no authority on earth to heal or save him, but their souls recognized Jesus. They knew Jesus. They understood 
and longed for shalom that their souls longed for and they recognized that in the person of Jesus and they stopped at nothing, at nothing, not even a roof to get their friend at the feet of Jesus. Did you know, y'all, that you can't save anyone? Now, I know your Sunday school answer is going to be yes, of course. Of course we know. We don't have the power to save. Um, only Jesus saved. But, listen, I know some of us, within the sound of my voice, or impacts, that is a new word that I've learned over the past couple of years, um, where you take on the hurts and pains of those around you. Now, some of you are definitely not empaths, and you might need to learn a little bit, okay, from your brothers and sisters that are. Um, but some of you are, and I, I fall more into that camp of seeing hurt and brokenness around me and feeling it um, inside me, feeling it on a, on a real level. Um, we can feel the hurts and pains of other people, physical, emotional, mental. And um, sometimes, I don't know about you, but my mind can idle on ideas of, of things. Um, what, what can I do? What methods can I research? What words could I say that would just help encourage this person or alleviate our friend's burdens? Um, do you know that weight? Do you know the weight of having to sit with a dear friend in pain? A loved one broken down by injustice or a devastating loss? A family member walking through addiction or sickness? Do you know what that feels like? Friends bearing up underneath the weight of things that are way too heavy for anybody to carry. These things can and should break our hearts as believers, just as they break our Father's heart. It's not supposed to be this way. But we cannot save one another. True healing can only be found at the feet of Jesus. And I think that's what these friends are showing us today. They knew they couldn't do it. <laughs> they couldn't do it. Yes, there are gifted counselors and spiritual directors and books and medication. And these are all good, good, good gifts. But y'all, all of those things are from him and through him and to him. And every one of those things should radiate out from spiritual healing that can only be found in a soul that is set free. And I think this is what those four friends teach us about our souls being free. Their friend could not do anything about what they were doing right? He was paralyzed. He could not stop them um, from doing whatever they could to get him to the feet of Jesus. And I, I love this picture um, in a way, because did you know that our friends, they can't do anything about it when we pray for them. 
we can pray for whatever we want for them. That's between us and the Lord. We can pray for them for however the Spirit moves us on their behalf. We can pray that for them. I have atheist friends um, who I love like family. And I pray all the time that God would send um, divine dreams of glorious things that they can't explain. They can't stop me. They don't even know that I do that, right? Um, that is a small picture of things we can do, actually do, to bring our friends to the feet of Jesus. Um, but I will say, if that's the posture that you find yourself in, of feeling the weight of hurt and burden on your friend's behalf, and, and, and you're laboring to lay your friends, to lay them, your family, at the feet of Jesus um, through prayer, recognizing that healing only comes from Him, I will say, get ready. Because praying for your friends and family members, healing and wholeness will require heavy lifting, just like it did for those friends that day. Uh, more often than not, what happens is you'll then be attentive when the Spirit directs your physical body to move into action on their behalf. But if it doesn't come from the place of seeing their truest need of being at the feet of Jesus, then we're just more self-help gurus, y'all. That is the place that it has to radiate from. Jesus is the only one that can give that healing. So in this story, we see ourselves in the paralyzed man, bound in our earthly body but healed in spirit, our bodies becoming the living temples of the indwelling God, and we hopefully see ourselves in the friends, souls longing and knowing things that we can't quite comprehend, but doing what it takes. So what does that mean for us? How does that answer the original question of what shalom can look like in a very human body with a spirit that's set free? in the already, not yet. I used to think it was despising my humanity. I would feel so discouraged and defeated every time my flesh reared its ugly head. Um, I, I just uh, hated my tears, hot tears of anger when that would, when that would bubble up. And I would find myself just wishing that I could be more steady. That was my goal, steadiness. If I could show that I was being steady, then the Lord was doing His work in me and I was at peace. If I was steady, unaffected by the storms, then I thought that's what peace looked like. But I think what I was longing for but not realizing it was to be superhuman, not accepting my humanity. 
I was despising it, believing truly that I should be able to handle things better. But who knows how to handle a global pandemic? Who knows how to handle children with cancer? Who knows how to handle unspeakable evils? Who knows how to handle these things in our, in our bodies, in our physical bodies? I had an experience recently that I believe the Lord used to show me a visceral picture of a spiritual truth. God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. We, have, we may memorize that verse and we may have it written down somewhere. We know it to be true. But I feel like a few weeks ago, God gave me a, a, a picture of what that actually can look like. Um, in my dog, Cece, y'all, my dog. Um, Cece is terrified of thunderstorms. And um, she shakes and she pants. Anytime she hears thunder, her whole body will shake. And so that has been a common thing. Fourth of July pushes Cece over the edge. She cannot handle it. Every year on the 4th of July, she has chewed through doors in our house. And this year, for some reason, it seemed like uh, fireworks were just more. I don't know. In our neighborhood throughout, they just days and days of fireworks. And so leading up to the 4th of July, Jamie and I had not gotten a lot of sleep because Cece had been up and just shaking and scared. I mean, really, just truly terrifying. We researched and got her this thing called a thunder shirt. And so the idea of that is that it wraps you, it wraps her up like a baby swaddle. So it's putting this pressure. It's She's fully wrapped um, in this thunder shirt. So on the 4th of July, um, in the afternoon, we went ahead and got her used to it, and we wrapped her in this thunder shirt. And we would do it for a little bit, and then we would take it off. And then we would do it for a little bit longer, and then we would take it off. And then that night, when the fireworks were really going off, we wrapped her in it. And her body was still shaking. Her body was still having a reaction to the fear. But for the first time, she came near us and she laid down and she was able to go to sleep. And so the next morning, the next day after 4th of July, I was on a run. And I was thinking about this concept that um, how I feel this longing, the longing of every soul, every human spirit is this freedom. Um, we have that longing and some of us go and look for it in so many different ways and places. But the, the longing of every human soul, I believe, is freedom. And so I was thinking about that and, and, and feeling the, the just bindings of my human humanity. And the Lord in that moment showed me Cece in my brain. I know that sounds weird, but it was just this image of refuge. Cece felt safe once she was fully covered in the refuge of that thunder shirt. And so it just um, was such a picture to me of that is what refuge looks like. Um, and if you think about it, as our bodies are the new temple that Jesus 
dwells with us, he is at home with us in our actual bodies. I want you to listen to this psalm with that in mind. Psalm 27, 1 through 6. Imagining your human body as the temple, as the tent, as the dwelling place of Jesus. If you want to close your eyes, whatever it is that you need to do to imagine this. Jesus is indwelling with you, brothers and sisters. Psalm 27, 1 through 6, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent Sacrifices with shouts of joy, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God does not despise your humanity. He lives with you in it. He created you for shalom. He didn't leave you to figure all of this out. He hates this pandemic. He hates cancer. He hates sickness. He hates evil. He hates injustices and selfishness and greed and dishonesty and sin in any form. He hates it, but he loves you and he loves me and he has made his home in us. Friends, in this life, we will be bound in our bodies and by the weight of sin. But that is not the end of the story. Jesus has called us to live a life in freedom in spite of all of that. He has given us the freedom to sing and to dance and to sacrifice praise offerings in spite of that. Shouts of joy and to run fully in that freedom. Wherever this day finds you, I pray that in the bounds of your humanity, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's the color of your skin, your gender, your sexuality, whatever your humanity looks like, bound in that, whatever that looks like for you, you can proclaim your freedom in Christ in spite of that binding, and you can rest under His refuge and walk and run freely bound, receiving our humanity as the gift that constantly points us to life with Christ. Because we are made, you are made 
in the image of the Most High God. He delights over you. He has made his home in you to work in you, to be your hands and your feet in this world, to bring your friends to the feet of Jesus. Only by resting at his feet under the refuge of the Most High God do we find our freedom to run fully bound in these human bodies. And one day, one day, all things will be made right. We'll loose these binds of our human flesh and we'll be able to fully realize that which our soul has always known. Jesus is making shalom. We were always made for shalom. Oh, that's going to be a glorious day. I can't wait. Brothers and sisters, I pray the spirit of the ever-living God with inside you. I pray that you know him today. Brothers and sisters, he knows everything about you. He knows the exact shape of your fear, the places of your anxiety. He knows what bubbles up that anger on the surface. He knows everything about your humanity and he is leading you in the way of sanctification, of learning how to lay those things down and grow in uh, the things of the spirit. He is doing that. Our job is to sit and rest and receive the work that he's doing. May you go forth today and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.